And again, happy Mother's Day, and we pray that you will be encouraged today. Let's, let's prepare our hearts this morning by going to prayer. Father, as we come before you, we recognize your love in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would comfort the hurting. Lord, we pray that you would encourage each one of us in our relationship with you and our relationship with others. Lord, may nothing distract from your word this morning. May we each be encouraged in our responsibilities and our relationships. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we celebrate Mother's Day, we, we often like to think of the perfect family, something that looks just a little bit like this, right? You remember that from the 1960s, but you know, maybe you feel that uh, your family is more like the Simpsons than uh, the Cleavers. And oftentimes we, we can struggle in our relationships. And in Colossians chapter 3, Paul shares some of the responsibilities and roles that we have in the family relationship. And I recognize that, that some of the things that Paul lays out in these verses in Colossians 3, beginning in verse 18, are, are hard. They're not easy things. But yet, I, I want to encourage you that uh, God is a faithful God and, and He will walk through these challenges with you. God is the one who created us, and also God is the one who instituted marriage and family. And so, when God talks, we need to, uh, to listen. He has some great things for us in this relationship. So I, I pray today that you will be challenged, but also that you will be encouraged in whatever part of the family relationship you occupy. So Colossians chapter 3, as we continue on in our series, Rooted, we're in verses 18 through 21, and we see some family relationships, husband and wife, parent and children. And so we see in verses 18 and 19 the relationship between parent or excuse me husbands and wives. Beginning in verse 18 it says this, wives submit to your own husbands this is fitting in the Lord. Husbands love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. In these verses we see some characteristics that that are to be demonstrated in the husband-wife relationship. And we see verse 18 that word submit, a very difficult word to talk about, but the word submit itself means to arrange under rank. Wives are to submit to your own husbands, and husbands are to love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. But what does it mean to submit? This is one of the most challenged and misunderstood principles of Scripture. And so I want to encourage you in several keys to help us better understand that concept. First, we see that submission has to do with role and not value. Husbands and wives are equal in value. 
Galatians 3.28 says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is, it may sound a little familiar if you were here last week in, in chapter 3 and verse 11 of Colossians. It talked about how there is neither bond nor free, and we use those terms barbarian and Scythian, the idea of, of people looking differently at, at culture and status in, in our lives, but God sees us all equally loved, equally important. But here in the Galatians 3 one, it mentions male nor female. And in the culture in which Paul wrote this letter, there was, and by the way, an incorrect view of women. They were seen as not as important as men. And that is totally against God's view. But there are roles and there is a design in marriage that God has set up. And submission has to do with a role, not a value. We also see that submission is voluntary. A husband is wrong to demand submission of his wife. In her love for God, a wife is called to willingly submit to her husband. It's a, it's a relationship between that wife and her God. And we see that submission is modeled by Christ. Jesus Christ, although He was fully God, willingly put Himself under the direction of God the Father in going to the cross. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was there praying and He knew the incredible pain that He was going to be going through the heartache. But yet, what did he pray? He said, Lord, if this can be taken from me, please let it be taken, but not my will, but yours be done. He submitted to the will of his Father. Jesus Christ models submission. But this battle of submission began in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 2, we find that God created woman to be the helper to a man. Now, that is not demeaning whatsoever. You see, that, that term that we translate in the Hebrew, helper, is actually the same word that is often used to describe God as being our helper. A husband and wife are to complement and complete each other. But sin entered into the scene in Genesis chapter 3, and as part of the curse, it says that the woman would be ruled by the man. If you remember the story in Genesis 3, that we see that Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, and they ate of the fruit. And what happened? So, so God came to Adam, and he said, Adam, what happened? And he blamed Eve, and then Eve, Eve blamed the snake, and so... They were all blaming each other, and, and so God started with the punishment of the snake, and really it was ultimately Satan who was controlling the snake. And in Genesis 3.15, we see this incredible promise that God introduces, that it says to, in punishment of the snake and ultimately punishment of Satan, where he said that you will bruise his heel, the seed of the woman, you will bruise his heel, but he will bruise your head. In other words, you will cause pain but he will have victory. 
And that was a, the first picture of Jesus Christ coming to this earth, the seed of the woman who would come and, and his heel would be bruised as he died on the cross, but he would crush the punishment of sin and the power of Satan. But then it goes on in the next verses and it talks about the curse upon men and women. And we see things like weeds, as we are seeing now, if you're in your grass or your garden, it seems like more weeds grow than plants or grass, at least in my yard. But other things, bugs bite, and those bites hurt. There will be pain, there will be struggling, there will be death. But one of the parts of the curse was given to the woman, was given to Eve. And it said that man will rule over her, that she will be ruled by the man. And that term for rule is a very strong word. It emphasizes the harshness of the ruling. A despot. And throughout history, we have had a battle for dominance. But a godly marriage involves voluntary service and submission as each spouse looks out for the needs of others. In 1 Corinthians 7, 34 and 35, it tells us that both the husband and the wife are to seek what is best for the other. A parallel passage to this passage in Colossians 3 is actually an expanded view of this in Ephesians chapter 5. And in Ephesians chapter 5, it mentions that the wife is to submit to her husband. But in the verse immediately previous to that verse, it challenges us all to submit to one another. We're to submit to one another in the Lord. And submission needs to be in the context of a loving relationship of mutual service to each other. And so we see roles and responsibilities but each is vital and important to the marriage relationship. And in verse 19, where we find two commands given to the husband. He is to love his wife and he's not to be bitter toward her. This love, this love is a continuous, unconditional, sacrificial love. It's continuous. The verb there to love is in the present tense, a continuous action. It's unconditional. The term there is the term agape, which is the love that God has for us. It's an unconditional love. It is a sacrificial love. It's a love that's demonstrated by Christ. Emerson Egrich, in, in this series, Love and Respect, and many of you have gone through that series, a marriage series, uh, shares a conversation between a husband and a wife, and I know I, I like this, so I've said it before, but I think it's such a humorous but yet powerful statement. The husband and wife are there talking, and, and the husband says to her, maybe it was on a Mother's Day, who knows, he was talking to her and says, you know I would die for you. And she said, yeah, right. You keep telling me that, but you never do it. Well, that's one thing you get to do one time. But this love that this husband is to have for his wife is a sacrificial love, even willing to give his life for her. That Ephesians 5 passage, the expanded passage on these household or family relationships, says that this, that the husband is to love the wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. 
It is a sacrificial love. It's a love that's not earned. It's freely given. It's not based upon the wife's actions. It's based upon the husband's relationship with God and his unconditional love. There's an old saying that goes, a happy man marries the girl he loves. And we could stop it there and say, oh, isn't that sweet? But actually the saying goes on from there. A happy man marries the girl he loves. A happier man loves the girl he marries. Husbands, we need to love our wives. One of the most common reasons given for divorce is this statement or something very similar. You know, I just don't love them anymore. You know, when we first met, she rolled her eyes at me. I rolled them back to her. It was love at first sight. But, you know, I just don't have that tingly feeling anymore. Well, guess what? That's not what God is talking about. Now, that's a nice, wonderful fuzzy emotion to have and there's nothing wrong with having that emotion in fact it's good but the love that God calls for us to have in a marriage is a love that is a commitment and there will be times when we don't necessarily like them but we're called to always love them By the way, this is both husband and wife. It's not just the husband that's called to love the wife. We're called to love each other. But it's a commitment that we make. It's a choice to say, I am going to love this person. Period. And this is the love that that God is calling for us to have. God is calling here in this verse for husbands to have for their wives It's a commitment. But we also see a second command given to the husband here in verse 19, and that he is not to be bitter toward his wife. That term bitter means harsh. Instead, the husband is to provide a loving servant leadership. He cannot harbor ill will toward something his wife did or did not do. Instead of displaying bitterness and resentment, the husband should demonstrate the characteristics that are found in 1 Corinthians 13. A familiar passage, especially if you ever go to a wedding. But in verses 4 through 7, it gives some of the characteristics of what godly love is like. It says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then it goes on in verse 8 and says, love never fails. Now we're not going to go through each of these characteristics, characteristics here of 1 Corinthians 13, but but I want you to think of a, a few of them here in our relationship between husband and wife. Patient. It suffers long. Even when that spouse does something that hurts or frustrates us, we need to have that patience. Not only is it patient, but it is not proud or arrogant. It's not prayed itself. It is not puffed up. Look, it's all about me. It's not selfish. It does not seek its own. 
It's selfless. And we see these characteristics of love that, that we're to have for each other. And husbands, we're to have these characteristics for our wives. And the exciting part is when one spouse is, is fulfilling this picture and, and living out these characteristics, it makes it easier for the other spouse to reciprocate in kind. Husbands and wives encouraging, challenging, committed to each other. And we see these characteristics. And you say, well, John, I'm here today or I'm watching today and I'm not married. We need to have these characteristics in all of our relationships. Our family relationships, our friendly re friendship relationships, our work relationships, our relationship with our neighbor. We need to demonstrate a godly love toward those that are in our lives. And then in verses 20 and 21, Paul shares keys in the parent-child relationship. Parents and children. Look, as, look at verse 20 and 21. Follow along as I read. It's beginning in verse 20. It says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Verse 20, the command of children. Verse 21, the command of parents. In verse 20, 20 the command of children. Children, obey your parents. But in all of our relationships... We like to focus on our rights, not our responsibilities. Children have a responsibility of obedience. And this, this verse reminds us of two important parts of obedience. Obedience is continuous and complete. Continuous, again, a present verb, a continuous action. There's not a time when, when it stops. When we are in the house under the authority of our parents, we need to obey. Sometimes it may be easy to say, okay, I'm a teenager now, no longer need to. But God says we're to obey our parents. Even when we're frustrated, we choose to obey. <clears throat> and we see that this obedience is not only continuous, but it's complete obedience in all things, not just the areas where it's easy and fun. I remember as a young person, there were areas it was easier to obey my parents than other areas, but God called me to obey in all. And not only are we called to do that, but we, say, we do it because we desire to please God. For this is pleasing to God. We need to obey. But how does obedience and honor work together? Because sometimes you hear children honor your parents, children obey your parents, honor your parents, the fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments. It's interesting, it's, it's the commandment with a promise. What, what does it mean to honor and how does that relate to obey? Well, obviously, as children get out of the house, the obedience part changes. 
your relationship changes when a child's no longer in the house. But the honor should never change. But I recognize for some of you here today that it may be difficult to honor your parents. You may have had a very hard and may be having a very difficult relationship. But we're still called to honor them. And in the idea of obedience, obedience is a natural outgrowth of honor. Do we honor our parents? We say, well, they don't deserve it. Sometimes they don't. But honoring them has to do with my relationship with God. And I trust that it's easy to honor them. But it may not always be that way. But we're still called to do that no matter how difficult it may be. So children, obey your parents. Now there's a couple more keys that that help us recognizing the importance of obeying our parents. One One is this, appreciate what your parents do for you. It's easy to focus on what you don't have and what you can't do. I remember I was a teenager. Some of you that are younger look at me and say, well, you're not anymore, but I still can remember most days. But I remember there's things, there's times when my parents, they were in first service, so I can expand this a little more second service. My parents, I mean, Oftentimes, they would set my curfew earlier than my friends had their curfew. And it was so easy for me to say, can you believe it? My friends get to stay out till midnight and I have to be home at 8.15. (laughs) Yeah, I maybe stretched that one a little bit. It's a little later than 8.15. And it's not fair. But I remember a person once told me, and I'm going to paraphrase what they said, uh, but it, and sometimes in my teenage years I followed their advice, sometimes I didn't. But you know, I always found it worked well when I followed this wise, godly advice. They said, you know, John, sometimes your parents are going to not let you do things that you feel you should do. And there was times when they will make regulations that you think are unfair. But look at it from another viewpoint. Appreciate the things that they let you do. And have a good attitude in responding to them. When they make your curfew earlier than your friends, be grateful that they let you go and spend time with them. And come home five minutes before the curfew with a good attitude rather than five minutes after with a bad one. And you know, I found when I did that, not always, but when I did, that my relationship with my parents benefited. And I actually found that my parents weren't as bad as sometimes I thought they were. And it helped me learn to appreciate all of the things that I was given by my parents. And I actually found out another thing, too. 
my friend's parents had rules and regulations for them. I didn't think they ever did. And sometimes their rules and regulations were harder and, and more rigid than my parents' rules and regulations for me. But we need to appreciate what they have done. I recently heard a statistics from the Brookings Institute that estimated the average cost of raising a child is $310,000. Young people appreciate the sacrifices that your parents made to raise you. Now, we don't just parent our children and complain about the cost. Because, young people, your parents love you. That's why they strive to take care of you. It may not always be doing things that you think they should do or setting boundaries that you think should be set. But they do it because they love you. They're imperfect, but they love you. And remember that. But a second important thing to remember is that, you know, obeying your parents is foundational. You need to recognize this. If we struggle obeying our parents, we're going to struggle in how we honor and respond to other authorities in our life. If you struggle obeying your parents, you're going to be struggling in your relationship with your teachers, with your boss with other authorities. They seem to go hand in hand. Because God gives us authorities, not just parents. And we're called to honor all of them, even when we may struggle with decisions that they make. We're still called to honor them. And so remember that. And when we do, as young people... <clears throat> obey and as any in any time in life honor our parents we will be more natural in our honoring those other authorities so now we come to the command for parents in verse 21 parents don't discourage your children now this is for actually both mothers and fathers and you say well see it says fathers don't provoke and i think fathers generally have a harder time with this i i understand that but this is important for both mothers and fathers, that we don't provoke our children. And actually, this word that we translate fathers here in Colossians chapter 3, the same word is found in Hebrews 11.23, and it's translated parents. But we're not to provoke our children and cause them to be discouraged. What does that mean? Well, the term discouraged means you take courage... And dis is the idea of taking away or taking out. So if I discourage someone, I am taking out courage. We also use the term encourage. En, that little prefix, means in. So if I encourage someone, I'm pouring courage into them. If I discourage them, I'm taking courage out of them. We're called to not discourage our children. And we're going to look at this from the negative standpoint, but realize we can change it around and be the encourager rather than the discourager. And so I just came up with a partial list, and I'm sure you can add many more aspects of it, but how are ways that we tend to discourage our children? Hypocrisy. 
And I think there are two aspects to this hypocrisy. One is that we expect things of them that we are unwilling to do ourselves. And the second one is living a different life in our private life than we do in our public life. I remember John Maxwell gave the quote, success is when people who know you the best love you the most or respect you the most. Our children see us more clearly than someone that we have a more general relationship with. And they watch us when we're out in public but they also see us when we're not putting on a front. Hypocrisy. A way to discourage our children is to be a hypocrite. We need to be non-hypocritical. The second is a critical spirit, overemphasizing their mistakes while never recognizing their accomplishments. And I think sometimes this can be a blind spot to us. They all can be. But this one in particular, I think, uh, so I had the opportunity in, in a couple different sports to coach my son. And coaching your own child is difficult. And uh, one of the things, it's, it's a blast, but it's difficult. One of the things is you want to make sure that, that other people don't think you're favoring your own child. So I'm sure I was harder on my son than I was on the other players on the team. But I thought I was a pretty good parent. So, you know, yeah, I, you know, Zach loves having me be his coach and, and I'm, you know, and, and it's that father-son bonding time. But I remember Zach said one time in a uh, <clears throat> little more heated discussion, he said, Dad, you never tell me when I do the right thing. And I, my response, I wanted to be, oh, yes, I do. You remember that time three years ago when you took out the trash and I said, good job? <laughs> no, it's so easy to say, oh, yeah, you need to do this different. You need to do this different. And there are times that we need to correct our children. I am not saying don't correct your children. But we need to recognize those times they do things well. And actually, in my life, I think I needed to think in my head 10 times positive versus one time negative, and it probably would have been 50-50. We can't be too critical. We need to encourage and correct and direct, but we need to make sure they know that we're proud of the accomplishments they make. Another is favoritism. Showing favor to one child over another. And there, if you have multiple children, there's a child that is more like you and you naturally connect with them. But you need to make sure that you equally connect with that child that's so totally different from you that you're wondering, am I their parent? Make sure you don't show favoritism. Just ask Joseph's brothers in the Old Testament. It says, and Jacob loved Joseph more than all his brothers. And guess what happened? Family chaos. We need to make sure we don't show favoritism. 
inconsistency, a lack of consistency when dealing with your child? Does your child just say, no, okay, whoo, don't mess with dad today. He's as one of those days. And then the next day, everything's great. Try to be consistent. A lack of affection. They need to know that they are loved. And we need to make sure we show that love at all times. It's equally important, and I may say even more important, that they know they're loved when they've messed up than when they're doing well. They need to know they're loved when they make the honor roll. They need to know they're loved when they spend the afternoon in the principal's office. They need to know they're loved. And then being too harsh or too lenient to have that balance. Again, Proverbs 29, 17 and many others talks about the importance of discipline in the home. But it needs to be loving, firm, but loving, caring discipline. To help remember this one, just think of Goldilocks and the three bears. Your goal in life is to be like the baby bear. Remember the story? Papa bear, porridge was too hot. Mama bear, too cold. Papa bear, bed was too hard. Mama bear, too soft. But what about the baby bear? It was just right. Strive to have that balanced approach. And then neglect. You know, in our busy lives, and, and, and fathers especially struggle with this. Both moms and dads can, but fathers especially. We're busy at, at work, and, and, you know, we have this drive, and God has given us a drive to provide for our families. And, and so we're, we're driven by that, and oftentimes we become consumed in our work. But what happens our family, our children, gets put along the side. And what do we say? We say, well, you know, I'm providing for the family. And, and oftentimes we think it's experiences that our children need. You know, if I can provide to the extent that they can do whatever extracurricular activities that they want to do, and extracurricular activities, Extracurricular activities are good things, but we make that the goal. And I think oftentimes as fathers we say, you know, if they can do whatever extracurricular things they want to do and I take them to Disney World at least once, I've succeeded as a parent. But what they really need is relationship. Experiences are nice, but relationship is necessary. Parents, they need you. That's what they need. And I know there are more things that we can look at as far as ways we can discourage, but I want you to think about it. I laid out those seven things, ways to discourage them, but with each and every one of them, there is an opposite way to encourage. As we pour our lives into our children, as we show God's love to them, 
and as we take part in their lives. You know, we're called to honor God in our home. In the previous verse in Colossians 3 that we looked at last week, we began in verse 18 this week, but in verse 17, the last section said this, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And whatever you do. So I'd like to change the wording around a little bit here. It says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do in your home, in your relationships, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Husbands and wives, honor God as you seek the best for your spouse. Children, honor God as you obey your parents. Parents, honor God as you encourage your children. The family relationship is to be a relationship that reflects the love that God has toward us. And as we live together, as we grow together, wherever you are in this family relationship, and I know each and every one of you are at least one of them, because I guarantee each and every one of you has at least been a child. We have an opportunity to honor God in our relationships within our families. And when we do that, the amazing thing is God is glorified. He is pleased and we can impact the world around us as we impact the lives of those we love. That is the challenge. So as we close today, I want to encourage you, and I want to pray for our mothers today. Now I know if you are here or watching online and you are a mother, you may be in different situations. Now, I know one thing, every mother, as I look out around this room, every mother here is a young mother. Now, you may have young children or older children. You're all young mothers. Make sure you write that down. But also, you may be at a time in, in your mothering where the joys are just coming one after the other, or you may be at a time where there's some struggles. Maybe you're here today and You've desired to be a mother, and God has never allowed that to happen. Or maybe you're here today, and you're a mother, and you have that mother's heart, and children, no matter their age, are struggling. And you feel their pain, and you struggle with them. Maybe you're here today, and you've lost a child or maybe even more than one. So I know for some here today, Mother's Day is a time of joy and excitement. For others, it may be a time of pain and struggle. But wherever you are, I want, to be, I want you to be encouraged that God has used you and will continue to use you no matter your station in life. God can and will and has used you to impact others. And so what I'd like us to do is I'd like us to stand together. I'd like us all to stand. Before I've had mom stand and they're like, John, we don't want to be embarrassed. 
but it also reminds us that we're all to stand with our mothers, with our wives, with our children, with our parents. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing upon mothers, but upon each one of us, that God would use us in our family relationships to impact others for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for mothers. We pray that you would bless and encourage the mothers here today. Lord, have your hand upon them, those who are facing struggles. I pray that they would feel your peace and your comfort. Lord, help each one to recognize the impact that you've allowed them to have and will continue to allow them to have on the lives of the ones around them, their children or others. And Lord, for each one of us, I pray that you would help us in our family relationships, help us to honor you. Lord, help us to live out the love that you have called us to live out. And we will give you the glory and the praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.